All right, welcome back to another episode of All Automotive. I'm your host, Matt Clausen. And in today's episode, we're talking about automotive myths or automotive misconceptions. What are they? What's a myth? It's something that is related to the automotive industry, which is not true. And people use it all the time and think it is true. So it's an actual myth. Things that just in the automotive industry, we've come to think is a commonplace thing and it's not anymore. And, and today we're going to talk about a couple of these things. And I want to start the show off with, you should change your oil every 3000 miles. Well, you know, I hear this all the time and, and back in the day, and when I say back in the day, you know, back in the, in the seventies, eighties, you know, maybe early part of the nineties before we had synthetic oil, you know, that was, that was kind of the truth. And that was, you know, what we've been conditioned to, but and maybe, you know, a myth isn't really a good thing for this, but it's kind of a misconception to me anymore because today's cars are manufactured so much better than they were in those days. And also the the oil formulations are so much better. Um, we've got so many different types of oils out there. Some of them are for marketing and, and want you to use their oil if you've got higher mileage and and they want you to use their oil because it will last the longest. But there is, there is oils and oil filters that are designed to go more than 3,000 miles. And, and there are oil filters and oil that's, you know, really only designed to go 3,000 miles. And you can still do that if, it's, if it makes you feel comfortable and makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. However, it's, uh, you know, the vehicles have been developed to run these types of oil that's recommended for the vehicle, you know, in my 20, I have a 2015 Chevy Silverado and, and gee whiz, you know, General Motors says that this thing should take a full synthetic zero W 20 and that I can go according to my owner's manual. That's the thing that's in the glove box that, you know, the sales guy told you that you probably should read through. Well, you could read through it if you really wanted to know exactly what type of oil and what your vehicle manufacturer recommends. Now, manufacturers do have oil life monitors, and some of them are very, very sophisticated. And I know that GM uses a oil life monitor that runs off of combustion events, which means it, it, it literally monitors how many times these pistons fire in, in the engine. So, and it takes that as a percentage, and in a, the percentage will come down as the vehicle runs and as that you put mileage on your vehicle. So the oil life reminder light will come on at around 10%, depending on which vehicle you have in most, most General Motors vehicles. Once you get to about 10%, it'll say, change oil soon. Okay, so another thing that comes up and a lot of things that I've tried to, I have explained to customers is that this doesn't mean that your oil level is low. It just means that the life has run out the lifeblood of that oil, the ability of that oil to lubricate and to do its job in life has come to an end. So, and you need to change it as soon as possible. It's not something that's, you need to get right in in the next day or so. It's, it's something that you need to do for, you know, a week or two goes by. It's something good to do before it gets to zero, really. Um, you know, nothing really bad's going to happen because I've seen a lot of customers come in and they're on zero and they've been on zero for 
a long time. It's just, it's way overdue. And you really don't want to do that because the ability for the oil to lubricate it and do its job has significantly been reduced. So in my experience with this oil, oil life monitor, and I've run this oil life monitor in uh, actually both my vehicles. I have a 2007 Impala, um, the SS version. If you know me, you know I like to go fast and have fast things. So anyway, I have a 2007 Impala SS, and I use the oil life monitor on that one. And I also use it on my Silverado. And if you've got a Ford or Mazda or Nissan, they all have oil life monitors. Most of the vehicle manufacturers have an oil life monitor. But getting back to the General Motors part of it, let's just say now it gets down to 10%. It says change oil soon. It doesn't mean my oil is low. It just means I need to change my oil. So I've monitored that and my truck will go around 7,000 miles before it gets to 10%, depending on if I'm using the remote start in the morning to warm it up or if I'm using the remote start in the summertime to cool off the interior with the air conditioning on or if I'm sitting and idling. I have a 20-minute commute to my shop, so it's not a huge thing. And I live in the country, but I do drive on uh, I-94 Speedway back and forth, which uh, hopefully, you know, is going to get repaved. And so we'll hopefully get some better mileage so we're not bouncing around. Anyway, so again, the oils are, are manufactured way better than they used to be. And the oil filters are developed way better than they used to be. Even the ones that are not rated for synthetic oil, um, you know, they do last and they do work really well. If you're using conventional oil and you're using a conventional style oil filter, yes, probably three to 5,000 miles is going to be your limit. Because I was actually talking to one of the representatives from the popular oil filter manufacturers. And this person was telling me that, you know, if we, if we cut them open or we brought, took this one apart and took this one apart, we'd significantly see the difference between the two. And you can, if you took the, the oil filter that is our base oil filter that we use for the, the base sort of oil changes, and I say base and the 3,000 mile ones, they are less uh, robust in the fact that they don't trap all the dirt that they would if you had a one that had more filter pleats. So if you took them both apart, you know, the one that's developed for synthetic oil, it's got more pleats, it's better, it filters better, it actually lasts longer so that you can run that oil more than 3,000 miles. So we do offer at, at my facility a, a full synthetic oil change by AMS Oil, which could go up to their signature series they say could go up to 25,000 miles with the correct oil filter. Now they sell their oil filters and they're, they're primarily a Wix XP oil filter, which is the extra performance oil filter that you get from Wix. So if you're using synthetic oil, I would consider a better oil filter. Don't just go with the one that's least expensive. If it's a vehicle that was manufactured prior to 19. 80, then okay, you can use whatever you think is necessary for your hot rod or your other vehicle like that. But we want to go with whatever the manufacturer recommends for the, for the oil for optimal performance 
and optimal fuel mileage. I mean, fuel, we, we talked about it in the last episode, and we're talking about it still. These gas prices are still high. We're still trying to find ways to save money at the pump. And one of the ways is to use the correct oil weight in your engine because it gets better mileage. It's proven. If you want to look it up, you can. I'm sure it's out there. So that 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 myth right there, you know, anymore, 3,000 miles, three months, 3,000 miles, and eh, not so true anymore. The next myth that I, somebody said this to me a couple of months ago, and I was kind of kind of chuckled at it. And I, I, you know, I know that some of these are, are actually funny to me. And, and I'm, that's why I'm telling you is, is some of these myths are just, I, I, I hear people say them and I kind of just shake my head. I try to be nice and explain things and not, you know, debunk their lifelong theory of getting gas in the morning will save you money because you get, once you get it in your tank, it'll expand and there'll be more of it. Okay, well, that's not true either because if you fit, you can fill up at any time of the day. It doesn't matter if it's bright and early in the morning because the gas is cooler coming out of the ground. Um, maybe. Well, they, they put these tanks in pretty deep in the ground. And if you've ever held the metal part of the pump, you know how they got plastic covers over them? You know, that that's on there for a reason because it gets really cold coming out of there. So you could actually grab onto the, some of the metal parts of the hose right there by the nozzle. And it gets really cold because it comes out of the ground, down in the ground. The gasoline really gets pretty cold um, in temperature. So once it goes into your tank, it's still cold. It's still coming out of the ground. And you could be on an 80, 90 degree day in the summertime and fill up your tank and it's coming out of the ground it's cold it's still cold so that's not something that is any has any value yes gasoline expands in heat we've all seen it we've if you fill up one of your plastic gas containers and i don't know last summer i did this and i you know the lawnmower ran out of gas in the middle of the, the lawn we've all done that you know the the riding lawnmower ran out of gas in the middle of the lawn. I wasn't paying attention. Well, my new lawnmower has a gas gauge, so I don't have to worry about that. But anyway, the the one I did have prior to that just had a little see-through thing, and you could, you know, I was pushing the limit. I didn't feel like driving all the way back to the barn, shutting it off, getting off of it. You know, it was, it was Saturday. Anyway, so filled up the gas tank on the lawnmower, and there was still some gas in the can. So... I just walked the can away from where I was mowing and kept going. So it sat in the hot sun and I come back and I had put the vent cover on and put the lid on it. And uh, it was like, you know, the can had just like ballooned up. And I was like, oh my gosh. So, you know, immediately I popped the vent and it's just like, you know, all the, the pressure that built up because the gas did expand and then the fumes that came out of there. So you got to kind of got to be careful with that. And then, you know, so that told me, Hey, that was not a very good idea. Setting that out in the sun, you know, you know, maybe, maybe I should have known better, but anyway, I had a half the lawn, half the front yard left to do and in a hurry had other things to do that day, blah, 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 blah. Anyway. So yes, gas does expand in the heat, but 
your fuel system on your vehicle and the, and the emission system on this vehicle keeps that gas at an even keel. So when it does expand, it's got a system on it which keeps that pressure in the tank at an even keel so that it's not ballooning up your gas tank in your car and causing problems. Um, and that system's called the EVAP system. And it also takes those fumes off the tank and runs them up to the engine and has a valve that opens and closes at certain times to take those fumes off. So they don't go out into the atmosphere, number one. And number two, it helps uh, for fuel mileage and so forth. So filling up your gas tank first thing in the morning, rushing to the gas station because the gas is cooler. And then once you get it in your car and it warms up, it's going to be there's going to be more of it. No, that's not, not something that, that, uh, is true. So the next one that I want to talk about is premium gas. And I know last episode we talked about E85 and its benefits and, and what it means for you if you have a flex fuel vehicle, but you know, both of my cars or both of my vehicles that I drive on a daily basis, my Silverado is a 6.2 V8 engine, which in according to my owner's manual and according to the sticker on the side of the gas door, it says I have to use premium fuel. And the reason for that is because the 6.2 Chevrolet LS engine, especially the VIN J on my truck, has higher compression than the other V8s and requires the premium fuel. So higher compression means, uh, you know, you need to run a premium fuel. And again, you know, the owner's manual is in your glove box. It's the thing that the, the big fat book that's in the in there. Just look up, go to the index, look up fuel, flip through really quick. It's probably a one page thing. You can read down through it really quick and and find out that says, you know, and I, you know, I looked it up myself before I started the um, podcast. And it says if you have a 6.2 liter V8. VIN code J, you need to run premium fuel. And my Impala does that too. And because it's a V8, it requires the the uh, premium fuel. However, both of these vehicles will run on regular 87 octane. It just won't, it's just, they're not designed for it. And they may, it may cause some, some spark knock because the compression's high. It needs to have the higher octane to explode the fuel correctly. And we could get into that, but that's, um, not a, a podcast for a later date, maybe, let's say. So consult your owner's manual. What kind of fuel does your vehicle require? If you have a higher performance vehicle, most likely it's going to recommend premium fuel. So take a look at that. I mean, that's something that you could do some research on. And, you know, I, I get questions all the time about, well, well then why do they make like a mid-grade, a, a plus, like the 89 octane? Well, plus is if, uh, if you want to run that you can it's gives you a couple of octane ratings higher it's not really a benefit most of the time but it could give you potentially better fuel mileage potentially it could run smoother Um, again it's it's something it's an alternative that I've gone to uh, on that old Impala that you know hey four dollars and 99 cents for premium and I can get it for maybe 50 cents less and it's not that not that different it's some of it is marketing and also it's a it's a another misconception which we could go on and on for uh, at a later date but as far as getting premium and putting premium in your vehicle that only requires 87 octane and, and hoping to get better performance out of it 
I believe you're just going to be spending that extra money for the extra octane, which really isn't going to give you much more in performance. So let's skip out on that. And most people that I talk to, you know, I just, I just go with whatever's the least expensive. So, and you know, sometimes that's a good idea. Sometimes it's not a good idea, but again, just consult your owner's manual and, and see what, what's best for your vehicle. Another misconception, and because I have a truck, I've, I see this quite often, and I, you know, we, we go on road trips, and you're, you're here and there, and um, the rest of my family lives in the Cleveland area, and we have the opportunity to have a you know, four-hour drive to get to them and, and see them. So we oftentimes will see people driving with their pickup trucks with the tailgate down, trying to attempt to get better fuel mileage. So there's, there's the myth right there. The, driving with your tailgate down will give you better fuel mileage if you own a pickup truck. So the idea is there, and I believe everybody thinks that the air coming over the top of the, the truck, it goes into the open part of the bed and creates turbulence, and which slows you down. And the tailgate being down allows that air to flow up over the cab and through the tailgate or into the bed of the truck and then out without having any trouble. Well, what happens is with that tailgate down, it actually potentially extends the end of the vehicle. And I think Mythbusters did an episode on this, or this was in one of their episodes, and they debunked it as well. The best way to do it is with the tailgate up, which actually creates a a vacuum or a lower pressure area in that square box, so the air will actually flow right over it. And the tailgate being down doesn't create any turbulence off the end or the back of the vehicle. So if you have, well, my truck has a topper on it, which it weighs quite a bit. So I think I'm losing a little bit of fuel mileage having that extra weight with that. You know, it's kind of like offsets it. The, the streamlining of having that camper topper on it, I call it, or my fiberglass top on my truck actually you know, lets the wind just go right around and, and does its thing. But I get some extra, extra turbulence from it coming around the sides and then swirling around the back. And so it's all in, you know, we can't put our vehicles in the wind tunnel, but I believe that the, you know, that show, the Mythbusters, they, they debunk that as well. So the best way to do it is to leave your tailgate up, you know, and most of us have, that have newer trucks, there's a, you know, my backup camera is in the tailgate handle bezel. So with it down, it's, it's not, <laughs> there's no benefit from that. I mean, you're, you're, you're taking that out of the question there. So, and most, most of the new style trucks have their, have the uh, camera up in that handle area. So the benefit there would be to put your tonneau cover on or get a camper topper like I've got, you know, that pretty much trades off. There's a little bit of gain if you put a tonneau cover on. I didn't see much gain in that, so there wasn't a huge issue there. So now another car misconception or myth that I hear quite frequently is that your vehicle battery is going to charge after you get your vehicle jump-started. So say your battery is dead and somebody comes along and says, hey, I'll give you a jump, and you give them a jump, and then you know you think that your battery is going to recharge. It is not. 
It is not going to do that. The only thing that's going to do is potentially damage or hurt your alternator. I've seen actual alternator death occur because we jumpstart the vehicle and we let it sit there and run at an idle. And normally around here, this happens in the wintertime, but if even if it's in the summertime or in a warmer climate, you know, we've got fan blowers going, we've got air conditioner that comes on, we've got the radio that comes on, we've got all these electrical demands on the electrical system. And so the alternator is 105 amps, let's say, and it's it's maxing itself out. It's at 100 amps. And because you immediately turn the fan on and turn the air conditioner on to cool everything down and it's like and you've disconnected the the jumping vehicle and now that alternator has to go from it the jumping vehicle was helping it charge helping the charging system let's say and so now that alternator has to work extra hard to keep that level up to where the running charging voltage is so it's good in the temporary that you got jump started and everything is fine. However, we potentially have a problem with that battery because number one, it didn't start your vehicle because it didn't have enough reserve capacity to, to start or we've got a dead cell. And what I mean by that, there's, de- there's several different cells in the battery. Normally it's six. Um, so you may have a dead cell. So think about that as far as your engine is running. You got eight cylinders and or you have six cylinders, let's say, let's make it easy. There's six cylinders and you have one of them that's not running. So you have five out of the six and it's less power and less acceleration and it runs rough. And Okay, so you have a cell that's gone bad or you that battery is most likely weak or something else has happened to where we've overrode the headlights or we left the door open or you know, most vehicles have a battery rundown protection so that it will shut off the uh, accessories. And I say that internal, inside the car, it'll shut off the dome lights, the overhead mirrors and the visors and so forth. It'll shut the the convenient lights off, the interior lights and so forth. It'll shut those off. But if you've overrode the headlights and turned the headlights on or you got your four ways on, say you got a flat tire and you had it four ways on for quite a long time and you try to start it and it's dead and then you jump it. So your battery is, let's say, okay prior to having this issue to where you've left an accessory on or or headlights on or, or what have you, and that's caused the battery to go dead. People, you still need to charge your battery because if you if your battery's in a low state, that alternator is charging at maximum output the entire time you're driving it back to wherever you're going or to your house. So I would recommend if you had your vehicle jump started to take it to a take it to a service garage and make sure that the battery is good, your charging system is still good. You didn't kill your alternator and also if your battery is in fact just low, then then we can charge it up and and get it charged up for you. Um, if you're a do-it-yourselfer and you got your battery charger at home, trickle charge it whether it's overnight at the lowest setting, replace that energy at a slower rate usually helps out a lot. We have hard higher rate charging battery chargers at our facilities to help diagnose electrical systems and also charge batteries faster so that we can diagnose charging systems quicker. But if you've if if you've run your battery down be, as a result of leaving the lights on or 
running the radio while somebody was in the shopping center while the vehicle was not on. That's an indication to me that maybe your battery is getting kind of weak and we should check it because sometimes you should be able to leave your headlights on for 10 or 15 minutes without the battery failing or running all the way completely dead because it shouldn't. It should have enough energy to let that happen for that short period of time. Now, it's not going to keep your four ways going for hours. 15, 20 minutes, you're running your your hazard lights because you're on the side of the road, your battery shouldn't die. So what I would recommend, if if, if you did have a jump-started vehicle, it, it, you're not going to charge that battery up. And sure, when you get home, you shut it off, you start back up, oh, yeah, okay, everything's fine. You've essentially you know, brought that battery back to a state to where it, it can do that. But anytime a battery goes dead, it, it unfortunately weakens that battery's life and also weakens it. So you want to make sure that you're either taking it to a repair facility or calling us up and saying, hey, I had to jumpstart it. Can you guys check the charging system? Which is a simple thing for us to do. I encourage you to, if you don't have a battery charger at home that has a low setting, a trickle charge setting of two amps or, or so, or a battery maintainer, then you know call, call the shop that you deal with and say, hey, this is what's happened and, and, that, and that's what's, what's going on. All right, well, those are the, the myths that I thought were the most popular ones. And, and hopefully throughout this episode, you got the idea of, you know, if you hear these things and you don't know, just give me a call. I can probably tell you exactly what's going on. I mean, I've seen several of these myths out there that there were some, that, you know, and I, I did, did my own little due diligence and Googled some of these. And, and, and there was just... It was just, there was so many of them that, and I, and there was a couple of them I, you know, I really didn't hear and I have never heard of. And, um, you know, but these are the ones that I've heard of and and actually spurred this episode with a customer conversation that I had earlier this week. And that, and it was the one with, you know, the battery thing and jump in your vehicle and your, your battery's going to get recharged. And it just really wasn't, isn't the case. And then I wanted to make sure that he was aware of that. So I, I did, you know, speak with him at length about the charging system and how it works. And anyway, those were my favorite car myths. So what was yours? Hopefully you got something out of this episode. I do appreciate you guys listening. All right. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of All Automotive. I hope you got something out of this episode, the car myths. What's your favorite car myth or, or misconception that you'd argue with somebody about? Hey, don't forget to give us a like. Follow us, leave a review. Thanks for listening to All Automotive.